Welcome to the Great Trials Podcast, where you get a behind-the-scenes look at America's greatest trials with the trial lawyers who tried them. I think I would have lost this case had she been wear- not wearing a helmet. You know, it's not required, but it just shows what kind of person she was. She was not a daredevil. She was safe. She was, she was not a risk taker. Please rise. Court is now in session. All right. Well, welcome to the Great Trials Podcast. This is Steve Lowry along with Yvonne Godfrey. Yvonne, uh, how are you doing this week? I'm I'm doing okay. So it's a Tuesday for us. I guess this will air on a Tuesday, whatever Tuesday yes. it is. Yeah. Um, but it feels like uh, it should be like a Thursday afternoon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Lots happen. Well, I was just thinking what a busy, I mean, you know, we've got Halloween coming up this weekend. We've got an election coming up next week. Um, you know, and then, and then my daughter's birthday is the day after that. So um, you know, a lot, lot going on. It's crazy. It's crazy. Um, and we've been recording a lot of episodes for the podcast too, which has been, it's, it's always fun, but yeah. adds to the busy feeling. Um, yeah, exactly. Well, uh, I want to, uh, welcome back to the show. Uh, a, this is his second time on, so he's either a glutton for punishment or just a really great guest. Uh, so we've got Jeffrey Kroll and we'll call him Jeff since we know him, know him well now. Uh, Jeff, how are you doing today? I lost a coin flip, so that's why I'm here. So. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> no, but thanks for having me again. Thanks no, no, me. no. We, we we really enjoy having you on. And um, and if 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 our listeners don't remember the case that we talked to uh, to Jeff about before was uh, Darden versus City of Chicago, which involved a case at the uh, Chicago's O'Hare Airport uh, where a um, I guess it was like a shelter structure had blown over on top of your client and caused her to be a, a paraplegic and uh, a tremendous verdict is a $148 million verdict um, against the city of Chicago. And, um, and so we're, uh, we're back to talk to you about a new case. And um, uh, before we get to the case though, I'll remind everybody um, that Jeff is a partner at Caveney and Kroll in Chicago, Illinois. And you can look him up at caveneycroll.com. That's K-A-V-E-N-Y-K-R-O-L-L.com. And, uh, and, and uh, Jeff has been, uh, tried a number of uh, uh, big cases, uh, um, and has uh, taught at uh, DePaul University uh, Law School, has taught both medical malpractice and trial advocacy and taught trial advocacy at Northwestern School of Law, and, um, and has just uh, widely uh, lectured and been published on a number of areas, uh, been a top 100 super lawyer, uh, been named the best lawyers in America from 2011 up until 2020, leading attorneys in Illinois, 2004 to, two, to 2020, and I noticed, uh, I noticed, Jeff, that you are on the podcast and distant learning subcommittee of the ABA. So you, uh, you're not only a guest on podcasts, but you're, uh, you're behind the scenes promoting them too. That was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> that was before what anybody knew what a podcast yeah, was. Yeah. It just didn't take off. We, we, thought, right. <laughs> we, thought, we thought we were innovators and it just didn't go anywhere. Well, you, you were innovators. Just uh, sometimes you're, you're ahead of your time. Yeah, we were not. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, well, Jeff, we really, uh, we really appreciate you coming back on the show. Um, and uh, I want to go ahead and talk about the case that we're here to talk about. This was the first case of your, uh, when you started your new, your new firm, the firm you're with now, uh, this was the first case that you tried back in April of 2019. Uh, and it, the name of the case is Murray versus A&B Flooring Supplies and Cos- uh, Cosmin Radu. 
Yeah, Cosman Radu. Um, and it was you were representing the family of Jenny Murray, uh, her parents, James and Nancy. And Jenny um, was riding, uh, and tell me if I'm pronouncing this right, is it a Divi bike? Yes. D-I-V-V-Y? Okay. And I, you know, I think, if I remember correctly, I was in Atlanta not too long ago. They had similar ones. Right. And a, a number of the major cities had with these, they're called shared bikes. Right, right. And what made this an interesting case and, and garnered media attention, and, you know, sadly, in Chicago, if a truck hits a bicyclist and they die, it doesn't even make a newspaper. Right. Um, but this was the first shared bike death in North America. And, you know, to be blunt with you, I, I sued Divi just to have them as part of the case. And I knew they didn't do anything wrong, but I wanted I wanted the media attention for it. Right, right. I didn't even realize that they were part of the case. So, uh, so you had uh, at first, and we can talk about this more. But you had, uh, so would you have sued, sued the uh, the Department of Transportation then? Were yeah, you, City of Chicago, okay. all that, and there was nothing there. We let okay. them right away, but after the press conference, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I noticed, I, I noticed that um, they're managed by Lyft. So, did yes. you have Lyft in the case as well? It was all the same entity, really. Right. Okay. Um, you know the one. The city of Chicago, and, and we'll get to this more, but they, they, they're they creating all these bike lanes, but there's just not the infrastructure in the city of Chicago for, right. for, to do this, especially in the loop. Um, we've get, we're getting a lot of dooring cases where someone opens a door and then they burn into it with the bike. Um, and we'll talk more about the route she took because it's very important in this case and it turned out to be a, a, a linchpin for us. But it, it, what's fascinating is they, they, they have all these bikes. They're, they're, they've got this biking program where they, they're, they're inviting people to bike in the city of Chicago. But, but people don't know, should I ride on the street? Should I ride with traffic, against traffic? Should I ride on a sidewalk? What should I do? Um, it's not required to wear a helmet when you rent these different wow. bikes. Okay. So it's kind of a mess to be yeah. watched. Um, yeah. It's it's and you know one of the rest, uh, one of the things I indicated in my closing argument when when you add in an inexperienced driver, a trucking company that weighs eight tons and thinks he owns the road, it's a recipe for disaster here, and that's yeah. what we. Have. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's interesting because I was actually thinking about that, and and now we're um, I'm getting into the weeds a little bit, but I, I saw that one of the experts for the defendant in the case was a biking expert and talked about the rental agreement that she had to agree to in order to rent the bike. And I was thinking about, you know, in Atlanta, uh, when you take out the, uh, the bird scooters, Yvonne, mm -hmm. I, I looked at the app and, you know, when you're agreeing to it, there's like 10 different things you're agreeing to do. Like you're agreeing to wear, uh, wear a helmet. You're agreeing not to ride on the sidewalk, which everybody disregards. You're, you know, and you're agreeing to a whole bunch of, you're agreeing to follow all rules of the road, that kind of thing. Um, and I was just wondering if this was that type of system with the, with Divi that it has all these sort of things embedded in the, in the contract that when you're, when you're renting the bicycle, whether you're, you know, in effect agreeing to do all of those things, but it sounds like it doesn't have all of those if you're not agreeing to, or not required to wear a helmet. Yeah. And that's exactly right. And one, one of the things though, they, they, they said, you've got to comply with the rules of the road. You've got to do this, you got to do that. But, but then at the end, it's essentially a release. I release Divi for any and all liability. Um, it, it, it they, they're making a lot of money on this right. in the city yeah. of Chicago. And, they're not going to try and stop these programs. I, I think some of these towns that have these scooters, you know, my, my son's in Michigan and they're, they're on scooters and I almost got hit by like three in a, in a weekend. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it, it's it, the, the no helmet thing is interesting. And, you know, just to jump in for a second, Steve and Yvonne, 
we did three focus groups in this case. All three were not guilty. And all three of the jurors said the same thing. These bicyclists think they, they own the road. They're reckless. They don't wear helmets. They think they can go wherever they want to go. So I knew at trial, I needed to change this narrative. And yeah. to be very blunt with you, which we'll talk about later, I caught one of the biggest breaks in my career during the trial because of something the defendant said. And so I would love to say it was great. Yeah. <laughs> lucky. No, I mean, sometimes <laughs> sometimes better to be lucky than good. But yes. uh, it, and my my wife always says, and I, I do agree with her, that luck favors the prepared. So, uh, you know, if you work hard and you're prepared, sometimes you'll get uh, breaks that go your way, too. Right. Um, Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, let me t- let me give a, a brief background to the facts. So, so Jenny Murray was 25 years old. She had uh, rented a, a bike from Divi, uh, and she uh, rented it at 8:44 a.m. Uh, in this uh, incident, the collision happened at 8:59 a.m. So only 15 minutes later, she was riding north on a road called Sacramento, uh, approaching the intersection with Belmont Avenue. There was a uh, uh, flatbed truck, uh, Chevy uh, T6500 that was driven by Mr. Radu for A&B flooring supplies that was stopped at a light there. And there's actually video of this. And, and Jeff uh, sent us a, a couple of different videos of this. But what you can see that happens is um, he, he's sitting waiting at the light. You see Jenny's bike come up behind it. And then, you know, as she starts to kind of go beside him, both start to move. And then uh, he makes a right-hand turn, and basically the front wheels uh, knock her down, go over top of her, and then the back wheels uh, just completely uh, roll over her uh, and killing her almost instantly, I think. Um, And just, you know, very tragic, very sad, uh, especially to just see, you know, it happened so quickly there on the street. And I know that for the parents of Jenny, uh, James and Nancy, this is just a, a parent's nightmare, um, you know, because she was uh, so young, so full of promise. I think she had just uh, graduated from um, the University of Illinois and then was looking at going on to a master's program. And um, and so it's just a, a very, um, a very tragic case. One of the big points of the case uh, was, and I actually watched the video a few times to see if I could see it, but was whether or not he had his right turn signal on. The uh, uh, the plaintiff's side, Jeff's side, was contending that the that the um, right turn signal didn't work. Uh, the defense uh, at least named a couple of experts who said that not only was the um, right turn signal working, but that he had it on and that he had his mirrors in the right spot. There just happened to be a blind spot that he did everything correctly. I mean, it was a, it sounded like a very hotly contested case uh, where the defense was pointing the finger squarely at Jenny and, and basically blaming her for what happened, um, you know, and, and not taking any responsibility uh, for it. But the, the case resulted in a uh, $7 million uh, verdict, uh, $4 million for loss of society, $2 million for grief and sorrow, and then $1 million for conscious pain and suffering with 25% of the fault put on Jenny. So the, uh, the net verdict was $5,250,000 uh, for Jenny. So uh, as, you, as you said, Jeff, you know, uh, a, a case that you had actually focus group three times. Uh, and I got to imagine that, on, you know, each time you're focus grouping this, you got to start feeling a little bit more disheartened about your case, uh, you know, but, you know, you always learn when uh, when you lose your focus groups. And 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 it's what we always say that we we try to lose our focus groups so we can see where the weaknesses are. Yeah. 
but but a, a tremendous verdict in a in a, in a very um, uh, hotly contested case between uh, between the sides. Well, it's funny because you, you keep mentioning hotly contested. This entire incident's on video, which lasts ten seconds, and the trial lasts almost two weeks. Right. So it's it, it in. You know, if this was a TV show, this thing would have been done in 47 minutes or whatever, but it lasts three weeks or two weeks. Um, it, it was, you know, what? I guess the best lesson I can tell you what I learned initially from the focus groups is we were trying to justify her conduct without putting, you know, the target on the driver or the company. And that was a mistake. In the first two focus groups, we were justifying, here's why she did this. And it's not that wrong. Yeah. And, and I felt like we were losing credibility. And the third focus group, we kind of switched it up a little bit. And the margin was closer for us. Like it was less liability on her part when we were going after him at first. Right, right. So we went through, and, and at the trial, what I did is went through the rules they had, all these different things for, um, you know, to get an, um, your... Um, driver's license, all this, his training consisted of, he'd been driving for about two and a half, three months. He had moved here from Romania. The owner was from Romania. All the drivers were Romanian. When I asked the truck driving expert, what is his background driving a truck? He said, well, he was in the Romanian army nine years ago. And so he probably <laughs> drove trucks there. Probably. Okay. Probably. Yeah. That's, a, that's I'm like, okay, I'll yeah. take that answer. <laughs> Leave that yeah. one alone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like um, I, 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 I do want to touch on because we got to see the video that, uh, that um, our listeners can't see right now, but, but just looking at it, I, I'm sort of surprised by the results, the initial results from your focus group, because watching it, my instinct was very much like what Ginny did was totally normal. Like for the people who can't see it, you know, I think we all have experience um, with kind of those really aggressive sort of city bike riders that are like, you know, on those really skinny bikes and low to the ground and riding around like maniacs and you just cringe because you feel like somebody's going to hit them at some point. This was like a very, you know, she's not going fast. I, to me, what she did did not look at all sort of, you know, aggressive or at all. It, to me, what she did seemed to be somewhat common sense, sort of, you know, pulling over to the right sort of next to this this truck that was in the lane. So, um, just for our listeners who can't see it, at least my take on it watching it was that there was, I, I was surprised that that a focus group would would put anything on her. Well, what they, what, Yvonne, I, I, I wish you were on my jury. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, but what they said is she was essentially timing the light. She didn't slow down. She, she just was going to get, once that light turned green, it was go. Yeah. She had no caution. This is a typical bike rider. This is what they do. They they go again. Even if that was a red light, she would have went anyway. No, that's what they were saying. Okay. And um, and and we had to change that narrative because it was it was bad. They yeah. You know, and and the case came down. And I'll talk about the trial in a second, but the light turned green and they both went. Right. And. At the trial on cross-examination, because my whole thing was I was trying to get him looking left at traffic, looking at the light, looking left, looking left. So he wasn't looking in the mirror. And he says, I waited until the pedestrians crossed before I made my right-hand turn. So from the northeast corner to the southeast corner, and I'm like, really? I go, that's yeah. cautious. That's safe. That's why there's, they're not on the video. Right. right. No, I was just thinking that when you said that. Yeah. And, and so all of a sudden, that's why I said, we got lucky. 
it's almost like diarrhea of the mouth where you said something and you're like, really? And so the jurors were kind of like, you know, I'm like, here, here's a, a laser pointer. Can you do me a favor and show me the pedestrians crossing before you decided to make this right hand turn when that light turned green right away? Right. And, um, and he's got the laser pointer up there and he looks, to be honest with you, like a goof. <laughs> right, and I, right. I, said, I said, the fact of the matter is that's a cop out. That's an excuse. There was no pedestrians. It's like, I think there were. Okay, thanks. Well, and you know, it, it adds to another point though, which is if he's waiting for pedestrians, then that means his light is green and he's not moving. So you would think as a bicycle rider that you could, you know, go by him because it, it's a green light. Well, yes, and that, but pedestrians, I mean, um, jurors, focus group jurors had a problem with this. Yeah, yeah. It, because it came down to that turn signal again. Right. Because, but there was an exhibit the defense used that we used against them at the trial. That's why you, you always gotta be careful with exhibits. Sometimes you think this is great, it's cute, and they use it against you. Mm -hmm. Well, they had this whole exhibit that was like essentially, he said in his deposition, the driver, when I looked in my mirrors, I could see three blocks back. I'm like, okay. So they had her speed at three different, at, from three blocks back coming here, how she should have seen the turn signal. Why well, turn that around? So if he had looked here, if he had looked in his mirror at this point, he would have seen her three blocks down. If he looked then, he would have seen her two and a half blocks. Down. So I went through all these different things because he, he was stopped for 10.4 seconds. He said in the 10.4 seconds, I looked in my mirror twice, my right mirror. I, I don't buy that at all. I don't. I think this guy was trying to beat the light, and that's what the jury did too. As soon as the light turns green, I'm going. I don't think he ever right. looked in that mirror because he would have seen her, which then gets down to the comparative and the contrib about if there was a right turn signal on, why didn't she slow down or let him go first? And that's why that other video, Steve, from the CTA bus, I thought was important. Yeah. So I, so we didn't explain this. So there's actually two different video angles. There's one, there's a, a shell gas station that's across the street that basically catches uh, the, the entire incident. You can see uh, Mr. Radu's um, um, truck stop. Then you see uh, Jenny riding up and then you see him make the right turn as she's going by and see her get run over. Then there's a, um, a camera that shows the, um, uh, Chicago Transport Authority bus, a CTA bus, um, that has like nine different angles on it. And one of the angles looks straight forward and it, and the bus happens to be pulling up on the cross street. So I guess they're on Belmont. Um, yes, the bus is in Belmont. yeah, it, it is pulling up on the cross street as he's running over her. And, um, you know, I, I was watching it on my computer and, um, and so it was, you know, the box, cause you're looking at nine different screens and then watching that one. Um, so it was, it was actually hard to tell. I, I tried looking there if you could see whether or not his turn signal was on or not. It didn't look like it was on to me, but what, what, what did that show if you looked at it bigger? Well, our expert, our accident reconstruction said it was not working because he's the truck truck driver said, as soon as I stopped, I turned on my flashers. Well, the flashers are on the same filament as a right turn signal. So if, if the flashers are working, the right turn signal was working. Right. Our argument was the right turn signal is not working because the flashers weren't working. And if you go back to that shell video, which, which, a juror in a focus group picked this up. So it's great how we as lawyers yeah. think we know everything. And all of a sudden you're like, hmm, I didn't see that one. Right. But when, the, when the truck makes the right-hand turn, it's kind of blocked by some signage, but it looks like the brake lights on, but not the right turn signal. 
No, that's that's exactly what I saw. Yeah. Like, you could see when that right turn signal was not working because of this shot. I'm like, so to this day, I don't know if it was working or not. I really don't. Yeah. Um, and, and then one of the better things that happened, we had a Chicago police investigator that came out to the scene. He sat in the truck. He says, I looked in the mirrors. There were no blind spots. I could see from the door all the way back a couple blocks. Yeah. And so I, it hurt them. I, that's I was actually thinking about that when they had these two experts, the trucking expert in the in their accident reconstruction say that there was a blind spot with those mirrors. I mean, that, you know, I, I looked at those mirrors and I was like, those don't look like those look like the type of mirrors you can see pretty far back, especially straight back to you know either side. So he would have seen her. So I, I, I thought that was actually not a good point for them to try and make because it has, because that was one of those that has the two mirrors, the long yeah. one that you could see far. And then that was a con, concave convex, I don't even know, but where you could just see right on top. And the, the whole thing was, I just don't think he looked, I really yeah. don't. And it, it, you know, in Illinois, probably no different than Georgia and everywhere down there, there's a adage, one who sees with an unseeing eye is negligent. You can't say I looked, but I didn't see her. Right. She was right. clearly visible. There was nothing that obstructed his vision. And they kept, that's why I turned it that way versus banking on her conduct. Yeah. yeah. You know, but at trial then, um, I got her writing slowly, erratically. Her mom said she would always take the um, bike lanes. And that's why we had her on this Milwaukee Avenue, because that's the only bike lane she would have been on that shows she's cautious. Um, she's wearing a helmet. Um, she didn't have earplugs in or anything like no music or anything like that. She was closest to the curb on the right-hand side. She did everything that was required of her under the law. Right. Um, they fought us on as speculation as how she got from point A to point B. Yeah. Because the other argument we made is if she took Milwaukee Avenue, it then meets with Sacramento where this accident happened about a block or two down. The truck driver had to have passed her on the road. So right. he had to have seen it at some point in time. Right. Um, and that was, a, that, was a, that was a day-long argument on this one issue. Um, so, Yvonne, one thing I've learned in this business is that you can't go get a great trial verdict to be talked about on the Great Trials podcast unless you get the case in the first place. And that's why we're talking about digital law marketing Com. It's Digital Law Marketing. They are a great company that does website design, SEO, social media marketing, content marketing, and everything you need to market your firm online. Yeah, I mean, think about it. The first time that you hear about whether it's a lawyer or a law firm or a business or a doctor, what do people do now? You look them up. You just, you, you Google them. And so your website has to look good. Your content has to be good. And that's what digital law marketing can help you with. Yeah. And they make sure that you can be found too, because you can have a great looking website, but people type into Google and you don't come up at all. They will help with that as well. And the thing that I really like about digital law marketing is that they don't go out and market for your competitors. So if you get them for your area, they won't go across the street and go advertise for a competitor or law firm. They also have such a fantastic team. They, when I made partner at the firm, they sent me flowers, which was so nice and such a personal touch. Um, they do our firm's website and for better or worse, it's very easy to find me in my headshot that I hate <laughs> right. because they're so good at what they do. Exactly. And, and you know, the thing, uh, another thing I like about them is they're, they're extremely responsive. As you said, like if you ask them to do something, they will get it done that day. And they don't overpromise. They won't tell you things just because they think you want to hear it, which 
Without mentioning names, I've heard from some other website marketing companies and digital law marketing will not do that. Yes, they're so, awesome. So call uh, Digital Law Marketing. You can call them at 877-916-0644 or you can look them up at digitallawmarketing.com. Again, that's digitallawmarketing.com. And tell them we sent you. So, so Jeff, let me just ask you not to get off track, but I do, I do want to understand, you know, for your jurors and your focus groups, kind of what Chicago is like in terms of how many bike riders you have around, because Atlanta's got some bike shares, but, but in Atlanta, typically there's not, it's not very friendly for bicyclists at all in the city. And you don't really see that many. Um, and so I'm just wondering for Chicago, if there's a lot more people biking around. You know what? Yes. Um, and it really depends on what area of Chicago to be candid with you. Like in the loop area, there are a large majority of people that will drive a, a Divi bike downtown, drop it off and go to the office. Um, okay. In Chicago don't have cars. They, they just, they don't They'll Uber or whatever. Um, it's, it could be crazy down here. There's, there's a lot of bicycle traffic on a nice day. It, it can be, it can be bad. And the problem is most of our streets don't have bike lanes. There's just certain streets that have bike lanes because we just don't have the infrastructure to just start making bike lanes. Um, and that's the problem because, you know, it, it's, it's one of the things I, I said at the closing argument, it, a truck has to peacefully coexist with a bike bicyclist on the road. They have to peacefully coexist. And the truck has the responsibility. You know, you don't move that truck until it's safe to do so. You don't move that truck. You, you don't make a turn. You don't even consider making a turn until it's safe to do so. And I think that resonated with the jury. I think they, they listened to that and believed it. But I still had to overcome some jury bi juror bias with the mm -hmm. bicyclist. You know, they, yeah. they, they one of the witnesses who came across the street afterwards, um, he found her conscious to a certain extent. But he was anti-bicycle, anti-bicycle in his deposition. And I did a motion in Lemony to bar it. And the judge, you know, Cook County, everything comes in. You know, there's nothing. Right. <laughs> and, and it was interesting because I had to cross him on this about this bias. And he at first, he's like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine with bicyclists. And like, okay, I got I to gotta, gotta start a different angle here. Yeah. <laughs> no more than this. But it was, um, but eventually he, he kind of said, bicyclists think they, they, they own the city and they do whatever they want. And I said, you've seen bicyclists without helmets. You've seen bicyclists that aren't close to the curb. You've seen bicyclists drive erratically. You've seen bike. I went through all the things that Ginny didn't do. Right. And then turned it back to, you don't, you, you, would you agree she had her helmet on? Yes. Would you agree she was not driving erratically? I don't know. Would you agree she was closest to the curb? Yes. You know, so I turned his bias into a, like a, pro choice for us, you know, on that. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I, I was wondering how, um, you know, knowing that you had these biases and, and I'll be honest, I, um, uh, I almost got ran over by a bike, uh, crossing a street one time by, uh, I won't say they're, uh, the, the company, but they, they like to talk about how they have freaky fast delivery. <laughs> um, so they, uh, and, and this guy just came, he, I was, I had the right of way. He just came right through the red light, almost ran me over. And so, yeah, I, I definitely get it that sometimes bicyclists, um, you know, uh, uh, don't follow the laws and think that they can ride wherever they want. Um, how did you handle that during jury selection and, you know, and, and finding jury, you know, I guess weeding out those jurors who might have those biases. Well, you know, some of them, you, know, you guys know as well as anyone, I mean, jury selection, it, it's, 
I think it's the toughest part of a case because you, you just don't know if they're telling the truth or if they've got a hidden agenda. Yeah. Um, I didn't know if I wanted bike riders. I, I thought I did. But then, you know, there was one guy that was saying some stuff like, you know, you, you know, you, you, you never go on this street first. You'd always, you know, he's kind of he's now piecing together what he does. Yeah. So I didn't want him, but I did want the occasional bike riders, the divvy riders. I wanted suburban people, too, because they don't see the bike riders like the city of Chicago does. So I knew I wanted bike riders and suburban people. And I, I think I got 10 of 12 of that that, that helped us. Um, you know, it's so funny because when I started trying cases, I thought oh, maybe hey, I, I want jurors that are kind of like me. Well, they're, they're, those are not guilty. <laughs> right. <yeah. laughs> you know, you want, you kind of want sheep sometimes. They're going to follow your lead. Right. Um, and it's, it was tough. This was a tough jury selection case because every, and this was July 1st that the incident happened. Um, and then it's April 16th. And I remember the weather was great outside and right outside the courtroom or the courthouse here at the Daily Center, there's probably 120 Divi bikes out there, 120. That's where one of the major stops are. So I knew these people are gonna be walking by seeing Divi bikes and riders all the time. And the one day I walked down, there were three jurors in front of me. There were about 15 people getting Divi bikes. None of them had helmets. Right. And I'm thinking, please look at that. Yeah. <clears throat> look at that. Um, I think I would have lost this case had she been wear not wearing a helmet. Yeah. Because, and you know, it's not required, but it just shows what kind of person she was. She yep. was not a daredevil. She was safe. She was not a risk taker. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I thought that was interesting. No, and I, I think it was interesting, too, how you talked about that in your first two focus groups, you, um, you know, focused on her conduct and not his and, and those they were very tough on you. And we it's been a while since we talked about it on the podcast, but we've talked about, you know, the concept of primacy and recency and, you know, what the what people hear first and most often is what they think about. And so, you, you know, generally you want to try and come at it from talking about what the defendant did wrong as opposed to, you know, what your client did right or wrong that way they're focusing on the defendant's conduct. But, um, but it sounds like that, uh, that uh, really worked. Well, and it's, it's funny because in the focus groups, the video, and I know Yvonne, you have a different uh, take on this, but the focus group killed us. They just, they, they, they really beat us up with the video, with the video. And I made a conscious decision. I'm going to show this thing a bunch of times to cross the defendant, to cross this witness, to do this, to do that, cross their experts where they're almost not immune to it, but they've seen it enough where her conduct's not an issue because I never talked about her conduct when I used the video all those times. I just talked about the defendant's conduct, defendant, right. what he did. And so her conduct, I, I just tried to dispel and say, you know, she did everything right. And if, you know, one of the things I said in my rebuttal, if you think that she's more than 50% at fault, I give up. I give up. I shouldn't be trying cases because there, there's no way, there's no way she did anything wrong here. So it, it, it um, does bring up an interesting point. Did you did you tell the jury or ask, tell the jury that it was okay to give her some percentage of fault at any point during your close? Yeah, I addressed that because I didn't want to lose credibility because of the focus groups, to be honest with you. I didn't want to go a zero, but I, I went, I think I went 20% and 80% for them. And they, they think they were 25% for her. Um, they went not guilty, not guilty, not guilty. Um, which is always an interesting issue because, you know, if you swing for the fences, sometimes you strike out you know, and it's, right. and it's, you know, I'd, I'd rather keep the ball in play and, you know, singles win baseball games type of thing. That's right. Um, That's right. 
So I just wanted, I just didn't want to lose credibility. I didn't want to be a pig. Um, and, you know, I said, you know, some of you people may think it's less. Some may think it's more. That's my recommendation. been doing this for 30 years. Um, I've been living with this case for, you know, four years. And I think that's a fair assessment based on everything you've seen, everything you've heard. Um, but I had to front it. Yeah. It sounds, it sounded too like, um, and I, I, I don't know how the, um, the parents did at trial and, and, and whether or not you had them there the whole time, but it sounded like she was just a, a really special young lady. Uh, I think you mentioned that she had uh, won an award, uh, the Mayfield Parish Award for having the highest GPA in her major at, uh, at the University of Illinois. Uh, and had gone to a, a very good high school and, uh, and just, you know, and, and was, uh, I, I couldn't help but notice that her, what she was studying masters in was for library science. So, I mean, sounds like she wanted to go work in the library. So just somebody who is not uh, going to do reckless she, things. No, she started a job. Yeah. There's a lot of crazy librarians. Um, right. <laughs> um, she started a job at Blue Cross Blue Shield after graduation. She was moving up the ladder and said, this isn't for me. So at the time of this incident, at night, she was bartending. She was, she was applying to school in Boston for a grad program. At night, she was bartending. During the day, where she was going was babysitting. So here's another issue. I, can't, I forgot to tell you this one. The, where the, There was an issue. Is she going straight or turning right? Because you can't really see it on the video. Yeah. And we kind of pinned where this, like a map, here's where she was going to babysit. The weird part was it literally, she could have gone either way, left or right. If she was going right, that helped us more because it wasn't like she was trying to beat the traffic. Um, I asked the jury afterwards, do you think she was going straight or right? And this shows you how we know as lawyers, it didn't matter. Right. You know, okay. I, I had four sleepless nights in a row because of this yeah. issue. Yeah, yeah. When they, it didn't uh, matter to them, because I think that's I think that was part of why when I first watched the video and I thought she hadn't really done anything wrong was because in watching it, I almost assumed the way that she came around the right side of the truck driver that she that she was going to be making a right. Um, so it surprises me that 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 they didn't care. I'm I, I'm with you. <laughs> I'm with you. Did they say why? Did they say it just came, you know, it just came down to other things for them or? Well, the big thing was the, was the people crossing the street. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's, you know, you talk about better being lucky than good. That was, <laughs> I mean, like I'm sitting there thinking, shoot, how did I miss these people crossing the street? I've watched this video 5,000 times. Yeah. I did it like crazy. <laughs> yeah. And um, it's, but you know, her family, which we'll talk about in a second, um, like if you looked up mom in a dictionary, her mom's picture would be there. They were, they were best friends. They traveled around the world together. The dad gave testimony and I've got two kids. And I, 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 the first time he told me this in the prep, I'm, I'm wiping my eyes. He drives to work every day and goes out of his way to stop by the cemetery to tell his daughter he loves her. Oh. And, and, and then the brother kept a bunch of things from Jenny and he's got them in his apartment now and, and all, you know, it's just, I, I used, I used 12 photos, never used the same one twice. Um, it, it's, it, they were a great family and she was an unbelievable person, but, but here was the interesting part. And this was a big fight as you two could imagine conscious pain and suffering. Now you right. saw the video. there is a scooter that's right behind the truck. If you watch the video again, and there's a woman on a scooter, she's got a bird's eye view of what's going on. She said Jenny was pounding on the truck, like move oh. out of my way, move out of my way. 
Then she gets hit and she's tumbling under the wheels. And when she got to her, she was still like moaning, groaning. She was still breathing. So that was enough to get us conscious pain and suffering. And so my whole, and it was a tough one. I mean, it's, right. it wasn't long. It wasn't long. And my whole, my, my, my closing argument on that point is what's going through your mind. You know, where's my mom? Where's my dad? You know, all those, where's my brother? I can't die on this cold pavement. I mean, and um, it, it was rough. It was yeah. bad. It was bad. And then if you, if you keep watching that video from the CTA, you see the driver. And this is where I, I made a conscious decision to be careful on this because the driver seated, seated against a, a car on the, the road like this. I'm like, oh, no, what did I do? And everybody felt sorry for him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And he was a nice guy. He was, he was a nice guy. Yeah. I mean, it really is just watching the video. It's one of those things where if you don't, obviously when I pull up the video to watch it, you had sent it to us and I knew what your case was about and what had happened. But even knowing that watching it, it does, it, it really just is to have somebody's life sort of snuffed out that fast in that way is something you almost don't think could happen considering, you know, that they're not going at high speeds and that it's, you know, it's really just about this angle and how it happens. It's really, it's really sad. And to lose somebody that way and to lose your life that way, obviously I can't imagine. Well, right. you know, then the, the phone call um, that the mom got and just retracing her steps. And this is part of the direct I had is when you got this phone call, walk me through before you get to the hospital, what's going through your mind. And, and it was, it was, she was, she was a phenomenal witness, the mom. And, um, it, it was, um, you know, it was one of those emotional trials, you, you know, there's, we, we try a lot of cases and some of them are more emotional than others because, you know, I've got kids in there, but for the grace of God could have been them. Right. Um, it's a, it's a freak incident that happened. It's, it's, um, you know, this is, this is nine o'clock in the morning. It's not like the driver was drinking or anything like that. And right. Um, it's just a it's sad thing, um, sad incident, but it's, you know, I, I had, the, as you, you guys, as you guys know, we talked about this last time, having good family members, good plaintiffs, yeah. man, that's so key in a case. Yeah. It's, it, I mean, it's up there among the most important things in your case. Um, I, I always feel like in a non-med mail case, if you've got good plaintiffs, that can win your game, win your day. But in a yeah. med mal case, if that doctor's, you know, what Dr. Dreamy or whatever his name was. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, you're right. I, I'll never forget. A, I was in, we were in a very conservative county um, and um, in, against a very good defense lawyer. And we were in a med mal. And um, the doctor was a super, I mean, he was just a really nice guy. And um, the defense lawyer asked him a question. And he said, uh, he said, do you understand why the plaintiffs are suing you? And he said, yes, I understand it. And if I were in their position, I would sue as well. But let me tell you, you know, why this isn't, you know, why this isn't what they think happened. And I was like, you know, I, you know, I, I looked at my partner and I was like, he's going to be tough on cross. You know, I mean, he was, he was good. Yeah. Well, and I, and I, I think it comes back to what Jeff was saying earlier about, you know, not going too far, not, not swinging for the fences with your, I mean, it sounds like that's kind of what happened with this driver talking about waiting for the pedestrians, um, you know, admitting that sort of, you know, that flaw or acknowledging the other side of an issue, you know, works a lot of the time and, and clearly worked with, with that doctor. 
Right. Yeah. Exactly. Unfortunately. I, I had a, a funny story, you know, which just ties in with trial law, but um, I, I did not work up the case, but I was going to try a med mail. And my associate said that the doctor's really good looking guy and I'm like, you know, whatever. All of a sudden <laughs> I walk in, I see this guy that's just, just gorgeous out of a magazine yeah. yes and, and the court reporter who i'd used a bunch of trials is like is he single or married and i'm like oh no. <laughs> yeah but by closing i kind of this is back when sammy sosa was playing for the cubs back in the day yeah and i said um you know he's a great doctor great guy you know if i tied it to baseball he's like sammy sosa an all-american i mean all pro he's, he's there every year and i'll never forget when i went to a cubs game and sammy sosa was in right field and they hit a fly ball to him and he puts his glasses down and I drops the ball. And I'm thinking there's no way they can give Sammy Sosa, perennial all-star, an error. Sure enough, an error, because he dropped the ball. Yeah. No, this day, Dr. So-and-so dropped the ball. Doesn't yeah. matter a doctor, he dropped the ball. Um, yeah. He committed a medical error, you know, so... Um, I lost the trial. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we've, we've all got those stories about, you know, we tried it, you know, but, uh, you know, we, we, we lost that case. And, uh, and, you know, and he even had jurors crying when they gave the, uh, the verdict. And I was like, eh, you know, I, um, but uh, it, anyways, I wanted to come back to the case. So you, you sent us the disclosures of the defense experts and, um, you know, I, I noticed how extensive, especially the accident reconstruction went through, you know, and like you said, something that took basically 10 seconds and he, you know, gives like this, you know, five page report, um, you know, about all the different things, you know, from whether or not the, the light was working, from whether or not the mirrors, you could see out of the mirrors. Um, and, and then I, I, I thought it was interesting. I mean, I, I understand why they did it, but this, this bicycle safety expert that they had, um, you know, who basically talked about good biking practice and, and safe biking practice and how, what she was doing, you know, I thought it was interesting that they were making such a big point of, um, that there were, there was a car that was parked on the road, you know, right sort of at the tail end of the, um, of the flatbed That's truck. Right. And I guess they had figured out that there was about four feet between the truck and that, in that, uh, car and that she squeezed between that and they made a really big point of saying how unsafe that was um you know it you know and I, I i didn't really it didn't really strike me as being something super unsafe but but you know their biking bicycling expert uh made a big point of that as well i was just wondering how how was the bicycling expert and and did you did you think about that when you you know knew you had jurors who you know some of them were into bicycling some of them weren't um, how, how did, how did he do it? How'd you handle the experts? Um, I didn't think he did well, to be honest with you. Okay. Um, I, I, I turned it all on her conduct again. You know, once again, I think, you know, sir, Mr. Cook, have you ever operated a bicycle in the city of Chicago? And no, it, it, what you're saying is a bicyclist going between a stop vehicle and a stop vehicle that has four feet of clearance. You're saying that's unsafe. Just so I'm clear. Right. And, um, and I, you know, so I, I knew jurors were going to say that's not unsafe. That everybody does it in the city of Chicago. She was wearing a helmet. That that was appropriate and safe, correct? She wasn't driving erratically. Well, I don't know. You can only see the last ten seconds on the video. Um, was there any evidence, any testimony from anywhere? You read all these depositions that she was driving erratically. No, she was closest to the curb. That's what you're supposed to do in Illinois, correct? Yes, that's the safe thing to do. He he didn't really say anything. To be right. honest with you, it was just. She shouldn't have done this. And he couldn't really give a basis for it. And I, I thought that was weird. I didn't, I thought I, I got more out of him than I thought I'd get because he laid down on things. 
I right. asked him about the Illinois Motor Vehicle Code. And, and he's like, I haven't had a chance to review that. And I'm like, you want to review it now? I mean, <laughs> right. <laughs> going to review it on the flight back? When you <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you're coming here to testify. That's good. Um, well, so related to the d- disclosures, looking through that, you know, I saw there was a lot of discussion, at least in the disclosures and, and anticipated opinions about, you know, federal motor carrier safety stuff. And I'm wondering how much that actually came up at trial. Not much. The judge didn't allow most of that in. And I didn't care. Um, right. You know, our trucking expert essentially said, and I kept it, he was on for 18 minutes. I went through his credentials for about 12 and six minutes of what's your opinion is the basis. That's it. And it was essentially either he looked in the mirror and they weren't adjusted properly because he should have seen her. There's no such thing as a blind spot with these two mirrors or he never looked. So that's for the jury to decide. I don't have an opinion on that, but he should have seen her. Bottom line. Um, She was going nine miles an hour, roughly, according to our expert. And from the time he was stopped, this truck, she would have been 140 feet away. So that's half a football field. If he looked twice, like he said, he should have seen her. At least one of the times. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just forgot what I was going to ask you. Um, (laughs) But um, uh, did you get a chance? Oh, I know what I want to ask you. The, um, there was this point that the defense experts kept raising that, and I don't know how they could tell this from looking at the video because I couldn't, that um, he was, you know, uh, sort of slanted to the right, like he was going to make a right turn. So they were saying, well, even if his uh, right turn signal didn't work, she should have known he was going to make a right turn because he was kind of turned that way. How, how did that all come out? And what did the jury think of that? That uh, nothing, because that, that was a big fight. I tried to bar that because I said, you know, judge, we've got a video that shows everything here. We, we don't need this, this, these, these cartoons that they're putting up here. We've got this. Our expert then, I went, once I knew the judge was going to allow it, I used our expert and he did this like with lines that showed they were straight. And their whole thing was that, that this truck was angled, like you said, and it should have given her pause. And one of the things I said is, is it, is it, true that maybe this truck was angled a little bit, even even though I don't believe you, because of that stop parked car, that he just wanted to right. get around that parked car. And, and he kind of looked at me for a while and he's like, no, I don't think that's possible. I go, what did the defendant testify about why he went around that truck, or around that vehicle, the stop vehicle? I want you to tell ladies and gentlemen of the jury what he said. Now, he didn't say anything about it, to be candid with you. Right. And like, <laughs> um, he's, well, you know, I, I have to look through my notes. I mean, go ahead, take your time. That's why this trial lasted two weeks. <laughs> right, right. <yeah. laughs> but he, they just, they just didn't have any substance to their opinions. They didn't really focus on her conduct, which I was more nervous about. The, 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 the bicycle guy essentially says, I wouldn't have done that. And he lives in, Oh, it's like Latham, Massachusetts or something like that. Right. Yeah. On yeah. University yeah. Avenue, I noticed. So he's biking around a college town. Yes. Versus Chicago, where, you know, it's like Frogger. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Yvonne, this next company that we're talking about is literally a company that has been with our firm since the beginning. And I don't think we could survive with because every time we go to trial, we always have Bob or Liz, or one of the other technicians who is helping us do our trial presentations. And I'm talking, of course, about legal technology services. And you can find them at ltsatlanta.com. 
Yes, they do all things visual. That's their big tagline. And it's definitely true. They have saved our bacon so many times and can help you out with so many more things uh, that you might even, you know, not even think about. I mean, they can help you with demonstratives for trial. They can help you with video depositions, day in the life videos, stuff for your website. Settlement videos, witness statements. I mean, literally it is anything technology based or as Yvonne already said, all things visual. They are huge at helping with demonstratives that we put in front of the jury. They are friends of the firm and have just done tremendous work for us over the years. So pick up the phone or get on the computer and look up Bob, Melanie, or Liz at ltsatlanta.com. And you can also call them at 770-554-1633. That's Legal Technology Services at ltsatlanta.com. And Steve, don't forget, we have a gift for our listeners. Oh yeah, I totally told you to remind me and I totally screwed it up. So yeah, so what I forgot to tell our listeners is that um, if you mention the Great Childs podcast, when you call into legal technology services or write into them, uh, they will give you 10% off of your first job. So mention the podcast, Great Trials podcast, and uh, they will give you 10% off of your first job. And again, that is ltsatlanta.com, legal technology services, uh, give them a try. I'm curious to the extent you can talk about it. I know some of it was in the materials that you sent um, in your um, that, that sort of letter type thing that you send to the court. And, and but do you think it was just kind of this? Um, I guess how it obviously they weren't that serious about trying to settle the case because you had to try it. And I'm just wondering what you think was happening there. You think, you know, they were they were kind of hearing the same thing from focus groups or you think just relying on these experts to kind of shut things down without a whole lot of substance behind it? Well, here, here's here's another interesting part. And I, I tried it against two very good lawyers and I'm not accusing them of anything with what happened, but we made a demand for 3 million, which they indicated was the policy limits. Right before trial, they came up with 500,000. And, you know, I had a long talk with the family and I said, I, I think we take a shot. And, you know, mom's like, are you sure we're gonna win? I'm like, no, but I, I, think, I think we take a shot, you know. We get a verdict then for 5.25, um, two weeks later, um, I, I make a, I make, I send a letter saying we'll accept the three million plus interest and cost, you know, and all this. Two weeks later, I get a letter saying we've got five in coverage, not three. And it wasn't. I tr- truly believe the defense attorneys had nothing to do with this. Right. Um, so that raised the price of poker a little bit, you know. Yeah. And I, I, I was mad when I was talking to the insurance lawyer, not not the defense lawyers I went against, because I'm like I would have asked for a different number. Right. I knew there's more coverage. Right. Yeah. Of course. And because um, I didn't want to be a pig and, you know, no, but um, it, it wound up settling for just under five. But it, it, it you know, it sucked because I, I just, you know, I, and I, once again, I not, do not blame the defense attorneys. I think there was an, some issue with the insurance company or whatever. But it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things. I wonder how many how often this goes on in our cases. Well, what, um, it. I was just wondering, what's the law in Illinois about disclosing insurance coverage in Georgia? You, you send a letter and they, they have to give it to you. Um, and, I, and I actually I actually had a case where uh, they gave us the wrong coverage, like you said, and then it came out later after we had conducted a mediation and it came up with a, you know, a much larger coverage. And the judge in that case uh, 
sanctioned them for fifteen thousand dollars for a you know mediation in bad faith because they didn't tell me the coverage. Well, um, they got to tell us the coverage too. Obviously, they yeah. don't have to tell us the right coverage, but <laughs> right, <Yeah>. exactly. <laughs> well, um, you you said you you alluded to earlier that you did have a chance to talk to some of the jurors at the end, and and um, I was wondering what did they think about the whole turn signal thing and whether or not he had his turn signal on. They, they did not think he had his turn signal on, um, but they, 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 I'm telling you the turning point they said is when he said there were people crossing the street. Yeah. And I just think, he, you know, he's from Romania. He, he's not highly educated. I just think there was a silence in, in the courtroom and he spewed out information and, and I'm like, Oh my God, this could be gold. Yeah. Could be gold. Well, yeah. it's, it, it's that one fact where you can tell that he, you know, he's trying to come up with an excuse of showing how safe he is or something or whatever he's doing. And then he just, fudges on the facts i mean he he tells a little lie and uh and that shows that you know if he's willing to lie about that he's willing to lie about other stuff well and that's yeah and it, it's it's I'd, I'd love to hear your points of view on this because i've never called anyone a liar right yeah yeah closing but i mean i i think i use fabricating i'm um you know misleading i've tried to use every word but lie yeah 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 no, I, I, I'm the same way. I would never, uh, I mean, unless it was just, you know, blatant, I wouldn't call somebody a liar in, in closing, but I, I, I would certainly, uh, talk about it being misleading or, you know, that he's, uh, making up facts or, you know, adding facts that just don't exist, things like that. But, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I feel like, uh, Jeff likes to say, Jeff, the, our, our partner likes to say, not true that that's just not true he likes to right. say not true a lot but yeah. i don't think he'll ever say lie <laughs> i like not true yeah yeah, yeah. that's a good one <laughs> yeah um well i don't uh, even know if he knows he's doing it but he does <laughs> <laughs> right exactly um well we haven't had a chance to talk i mean we, we did talk a little bit about who Jenny was, but um do you want to talk a little bit more about how you presented damages did and i don't i didn't even uh we didn't even ask in closing, did you ask them for a, a number or yeah. did you? Okay. I asked for, um, I think 8.5 million and I would have asked for more had I known there was five and, you know, maybe that was the wrong thing to do. Um, I'm telling you, I, 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 I keep, I'm, I'm redundant when I say this with you both times now that I've been with you, having a nice family, having a great plaintiff is everything. The mom was, um, just she was my last witness she was phenomenal the dad was very stoic yeah you know kind of um you know and it was almost like if you looked at him the first couple of times he just looks like he doesn't care almost but it, he just and when he told me that he goes to the cemetery to say i love you every day before he goes to work you know and that this is a guy that coached his daughter in sports she wasn't that good he, he'd, he'd go watch her bowl in high school but she would be the one with her book open and you know and just he had all these great stories and the, and the brother just saw it went from, she was kind of my mentor, my older sister to becoming my best friend. We yeah. transitioned once I got out of college type of thing. And I think that happens with a lot of people Yeah, where, and, and, and I think jurors can relate to that. Yeah. Um, you know, I have a sister that I used to shoot a BB gun at in the yard <laughs> and now we're great friends, but it's right. just, you know. Yeah. You're missing an eye. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I'm wondering if you can talk about, because you, I mean, we've talked about two of them where you're trying really tough cases like this, but where you've got somebody either 
with a serious injury, or I think especially this happens in in wrongful death cases where you don't have an ongoing life care plan or medical treatment and that kind of thing. We talk a lot on this show about how much attention needs to be paid to damage it, the damages part of the case um, in addition to liability. Because you know so much of the focus when you're taking depositions and stuff is on the liability. And I'm wondering as a practice pointer, especially for we've got some law student listeners and newer lawyers, um, if you have any practice pointers for how you approach damages in a wrongful death case, you know, how long you like to have your witnesses up there, what you like to do with them, how you like to prepare them, that kind of thing. Well, you know, in Illinois, we now have grief, suffering, grief and mental suffering, and then loss of society where you, you're, what's that, that mutual benefit to each other. Um, I had, I didn't have a, a family member on for more than 15 minutes. Uh, I wanted to get them on, get them off. I think too many people have damages as almost a throwaway item. I've I've got to focus on liability. Damages will take care of itself. It's, it's not going to, I want to, I always make sure, especially with a wrongful death, they all have different stories or versions. Like what, 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 why was Jenny important to you? You know, what, what do you miss most about her? Um, because it's, you know, the, the day I asked the dad, what do you miss most about Jenny? And he just, he, he was just kind of like stoic, like I said, and he's like, I just, I just miss talking to her and here, oh, I, this is a great one. This, this made two jurors cry. I go, when was the last, and he told me this during the prep. I go, when was the last time you saw Jenny? And, and he, um, he took his glasses off and he said the night before she was bartending. And um, it, I was there with my brother and some other people. And so when I was leaving, I gave her a fin, gave her a Finsky $5 as a tip. And she's like, dad, knock it off. He's like, keep it. And so it was a cute story because people can relate to that. Yeah. That, yeah. That's, that was his last moment with her. Mm. And the mom, Jenny was her best friend. They, they did everything to get, it sounds corny, but they, they traveled that. So I used like four or five pictures with her about different places they went to. Um, yeah. You know, with the dad, I showed some photos about him coaching her. Um, and, um, it was, it was, it was rough though. It was a, the, the brother was a great guy. Patrick's a great kid. Um, and I just, like, like, I think Yvonne was saying this earlier, you, you're just, your life changes in a split second and it's such a ripple effect. Um, you know, for my closing argument, it, it's, you know, there's many closing arguments I give where you can hear crickets for the, out there, but <laughs> he had all these family members and friends and I'm thinking, okay, this is adding to the pressure a little bit, but yeah, there was a ton of people there and it's shows what kind of family unit that was. Right. Yeah. You know, they all hugged the mom when they left the jurors. Yeah. Oh. And which, you know, trust me, I've had cases where the jurors can't get out of there fast enough. And right. Right. Yeah. Wow. But they're just, you know, they're special and there are people I still talk with. Um, I, I told my wife this before we got married and I, I've been to 10 of my clients weddings for wrongful death cases. So I don't know if that's good or bad. No, it's great. Um, it's great. But it's yeah. because you, you have that, you, you know, you, you feel like a part of you died that day too. You almost have mm-hmm. to, if you don't feel that. And I don't think I would have been able to do this case before I had kids. Like, I don't think I would have been as effective because once you have kids, you're, that, that game changes. Right. About, right. you know, I mean, you know, I've got buddies that are still bachelors and they're having fun and they're, there's, there's a big difference. Right. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt. There's no yeah, doubt. I'm still jealous of them. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. 
Um, you know, there's one, one thing that I, that I read that I wanted to ask you about. You referred in, I think, your mediation packet to um, the Dead Man's Act. And I had never heard of that before, but it's a concept in Illinois that, um, that they can't, that, that I guess the person, the defendant or whoever survived can't testify about it. It's something that the decedent would have um, rebutted, uh, rebutted or refuted. Right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so uh, I waived it because okay. I thought I was going to get more. And in Illinois, though, if I had eyewitness testimony that was very favorable, I could have essentially barred him from testifying about anything and just gone with the witnesses. But I, I thought I'd get more mileage out of him on cross. So I waived it. Um, it, it's, it's a unique piece of uh, strategy. I, I, I don't like it because you're, I think we get more out of crossing a defendant than anything. I agree. And and silencing that defendant doesn't do, I mean, you take a lot away from it then. Right. So I've, I've never used it at trial because I, I feel like I'll, I'll get more mileage out of crossing that person. Um, but it's out there. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was interesting, too. And, I, you know, I obviously you made the right call because, you know, the statements that he made um, when you were crossing him were ended up being crucial for you. So if, you know, if you had tried to stay away from that, you wouldn't have gotten that. But I also think I guess a jury just wouldn't know about it, like with other things that are kind of in limited out. But you got to think if they knew about it, they'd hate it. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like so this guy ran her over twice with his wheels and you're not going to ask him any questions. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's like, it's right. like he took the fifth or something. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's Absolutely. A, I, yeah. I don't know. You know Illinois, uh, it, it, there's a lot of, they've got some, it's a good state. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> well, and so I, I want to go back just cause I, I, I noted how this sort of all these, the different, how the damages broke out. And I was curious, I can't remember if we talked about this um, when we talked about your other case, you know, in, in Georgia, our, our measure of wrongful death is, is the value of the life from the pers- perspective of the decedent. So it's not sort of the grief suffered by the people that have been left behind. Do you, do you really try to delineate between that loss of society and the, the grief and sorrow? Because yes. those are those are on behalf of the of the survivors. Both yes. Them, right? So let me just read you the two definitions, and so it gives you an idea of the distinction. Because if you if you if you meld them together, you're only going to get one element, and right. so that's why I'll use different numbers to show it's different losses as well. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, society means the mutual benefits that each family member receives from the other's continued existence including love, affection, care, attention, companionship. So it's all that stuff that, that, that they bring together. Um, in Illinois, you may recover for the grief, sorrow, and mental suffering. So that's a different element. Yeah. So yeah. It goes, one goes to, for lack of a better word, sadness. Yeah. And the other goes to, man, look what I'm missing because she's gone. Yeah, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. But like, yeah, like for the mom, she missed uh, her her travel companion yes. that they used to go yes. do everything. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, that's nice because I, I know we've talked about it in the show before. And, and in some ways, Georgia's measure of wrongful death is great. But I think it is it. It's always, I think, difficult for our clients to, you know, because we'll get motions in limine, uh, you know, to prevent the the people from talking about talking to prevent the family members from talking about the impact that their loved one's death has had on them. Yeah. Or Um, or that they miss them, you know? Yeah. So it's very awkward. (laughs) And it's, I think it's very hard for them to understand 
um, you know, how that works. It's just, how about if, what if you have a housewife that is killed? Well, no, I mean, so yeah, that, that's going to cause some issues because you're not going to be able to say, well, she lost wages. Although we, you know, there, there have been times where uh, with certain experts that we brought in uh, that you can basically value those household services and, and put a number on it. Um, but you, but you know, you talk a lot about her enjoyment of time with her husband, with her uh, kids, you know, or with their family and doing all the things that make life worth living. And it's, you know, so one of the things we like to talk about in our closings is, you know, the amount of, you know, money you bring home in a paycheck is just a small fraction of what the value of your life is worth. The true value of your life is, you know, family time, church time, going on outings, doing things with the people you love. And that's, uh, you know, nobody looks back on their life and says, man, I really wish I worked more. Well, I, heard good, I heard a good yeah. thing in a seminar that I've used a couple of times. You, you know, we work to live. We don't live to work. That's right. Yeah. 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 yeah so you can deal with it and it's still emotional testimony, but I, I always, there's always this talk that you have to have either before their depositions or at some point with the clients about kind of, you know, their sadness versus, you know, talk, focusing on the person that they miss. Yeah. Um, so, I have two questions for you. In an opening statement, are you allowed to give a number or range? And, and number two, in your closing, do you give a number? So you generally, yes, you can. Um, it's really discretionary up to the judge. So some judges, you know, don't like it. Um, but, you know, generally you can talk about numbers. You know, in opening, we'll usually talk about numbers in much more of a general sort of vague way of, you know, we're, you know, we're going to be asking you for millions. And, and especially in voir dire, we ask sure. a lot about uh, numbers there if the judge will let us about, you know, we, you know, we want to make sure we're, this is a valuable case. We're going to be asking for millions of dollars. Is there anybody who is uncomfortable with that? Just doesn't feel like they can, you know, award that for, you know, something like that. So you, you, how, do you, you respond, about, how do you respond to the juror that says, when you say millions, what exactly do you mean? Um, you know, I don't know if I ever got that, but I mean, I, I would be straightforward with them that, you know, especially if it's a, an injury case that, that, um, you know, something that, you know, I, I don't, I don't, you know, it depends on the case, but I might say, well, I might be asking, you know, we're going to ask for something in the tens of millions or, you know, um, the, you know, I had a case that was in a, a very conservative venue and I represented a police officer that had been injured. And, um, and I told the jury, I was going to be asking for uh, a large verdict at the end. And uh, I think luckily for me, there had actually been another case, a product liability case where a young child had been killed in that same county and the trial had been there the year before, which uh, came out as a very large verdict, $140 million verdict uh, from a, a, a great lawyer here in Georgia. And, uh, and so I, you know, that gave me the opportunity in voir dire to say, you know, I'm sure everybody heard about the verdict that came out at $140 million. Did anybody here think that was just, you know, excessive too much, um, you know, and not a single person raised their hand. So, you know, that's that a good, good. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly. Good yeah. Yeah. Your honor, we'll accept these 12. <laughs> right. yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so, I mean, I, I, you know, I try to be as straightforward as the law allows, you know, I mean, I, I won't do anything that, um, or try not to do anything that's going to get me in trouble, uh, with the court or with the, you know, with, with the law. But I mean, I, I try to just be straightforward with the, with the jury. And, um, and I think all of us, yeah, I think everybody does. And, and, and we, we always say that to trial lawyers in general is, you know, you've got to be straightforward. You got to be honest and you got to admit your weaknesses. Um, because if you don't, the other side's certainly going to bring them out and you don't want to be the guy who's dealing with that 
on the back end. Um, so well, it's it better, better to lay it out ahead of time. When I had the mom on, you know, we went through, I, I went through, she was the last witness, but I went through Ginny's education, all that kind of stuff, you know, so I didn't go over it with the brother or the dad. And we went through some of her hobbies, what she enjoyed doing and all this. And what did you and Jenny do together? And we went through all this. And she was kind of upbeat and happy. And, you know, it was kind of cute because it brought back good memories. But then I paused for about 20 seconds, literally, which felt like an hour. And I said, I want to talk about July 1st. And she just lost it. And, but it, it, it was, it it was emotional because, you know, and I said, do you want to stop? She's like, no, I just want, I want to tell people what I what happened to me that day, you know, and it was, it was powerful. She was yeah. powerful. Um, you know, I can tell you, like when my son or daughter is, is sick or something, they're not calling for dad. It's, it's mom. That's right. It's mom. Yeah. And yeah, absolutely. so this was a special relationship. Well, uh, well, Jeff, we've certainly enjoyed uh, talking to you. I want to make sure, is there anything else that um, we haven't mentioned about the uh, Murray versus A&B flooring supplies case uh, that you want to make sure our listeners have heard? No, I think we covered it, but thanks a lot, Stephen. Yeah, it was fun. No, this has been really good. I want to remind everybody we've been talking about the case of Murray versus A&B Flooring Supplies, Inc., uh, which was tried in Cook County, uh, Illinois, in uh April of 2019 and resulted in a $7 million verdict that was uh, because of comparative fault was reduced to 5.25 million. Um, and we have been talking with Jeff Kroll of Caveney and Kroll. And you can look up Jeff at caveneykroll.com. That's K-A-V-E-N-Y-K-R-O-L-L.com. Jeff, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks, Jeff. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, have you reached a verdict? Thank you for listening to the Great Trials Podcast. You can visit us online at greattrialspodcast.com. We realize in the show that sometimes we use terminology that not everybody would be familiar with or that uh, we haven't uh, always explained every part of the jury trial process. So we've done two special shows, one on legal terminology, and Yvonne, that's going to be hopefully not that boring. Uh, We've uh, included a number of people in that so that uh, we can make that more entertaining and a show on the jury trial process. And we've also put uh, links to uh, those episodes on our greattrialspodcast.com, as well as a uh, glossary of the legal terminology on the uh, website. Yeah, so check those out. If you have a trial you would like to be featured on the Great Trials Podcast, or if you're a trial lawyer and you want to be on the show, or if you're just a person who has something that you want to say to us, please email us at info at greattrialspodcast.com. Note, if you have something mean to say, we don't have email. Right, exactly. <laughs> we only need a positive commentary. Yeah, we're fragile. Yeah. Um, you can also rate or review us uh, wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever. Again, if you have something mean to say, um, our podcast is not available for review. We we also want to thank uh, the people behind the scenes. Uh, one is Taras Misher, who is our uh, uh, podcast extraordinaire. Uh, he is from Podcast on the Go, and Allison Hirsch uh, from Capricorn Communications. She is a magician when it comes to putting these shows together and getting them scheduled. And this has been the Great Trials Podcast, and we appreciate your time. And hope you'll listen again. Thank you for listening.